0: Maybe we could just ask the Lord for His help again. Our Father, we're so thankful to be able to pray for those who are around us who know not the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're so thankful to be able to pray for our neighbors, for our families. Again, so grateful that your heart is towards all of mankind it's yours as we've been reminded tonight already, your desire is that none would perish but all might come to repentance and so again, we ask that you would make us able uh, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that father we would uh, we would understand something of what it means to be a yoke together with the Lord Jesus Christ in that uh, effective ministry he's involved in of, of um taking out of this world a a people for his own name and, for uh, Father, for your glory. And so we ask, uh, even now as we uh, look into your word, that you might uh, speak to our hearts, that we might be changed. We ask for a fresh uh, uh, movement of your your spirit in our own hearts uh, tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I'd like to turn with you, if I could, to Mark chapter 2, to the Gospel of Mark. Just... um, Thank you for the uh, privilege for my wife and I to uh, be here with you. It's been um, very encouraging. Uh, we're just thrilled to see what the Lord is doing. Uh, we were down here a few years ago. Uh, I'm not sure how many years ago that was, but um, it's great to see what, what, what God is doing, what the Lord is doing in your lives. And so we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to join with you uh, in fellowship. I want to read in verse, uh, verse 1 of uh, Mark chapter 2. This is again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And this is uh, an account that is recorded in... Some of the other gospels, and certainly, uh, we we study uh, any one passage in any one gospel. We find that the Spirit of God gives us insight by looking at um, the other recordings of it or the other accounts given by the other writers. And so, we're going to see some of that tonight. Um, It starts in uh, the city of uh, Capernaum, and we of course know how the Lord Jesus got to Capernaum. We know he wasn't. Uh, born there he was born in Bethlehem and spent most of his life in the city of Nazareth at a certain point uh, at the age of 30 he went down and he was baptized in the Jordan River he uh, gathered a few disciples together and he came back to the city of Nazareth he uh, as his custom was we read in Luke chapter 4 he went to the synagogue he stood up in the back to read Uh, He read from the book of Isaiah. He applied that passage to himself. Uh, Those people that were sitting there uh, that day said they'd never heard anything like that. Uh, They turn around, they observe that it's the carpenter who they perceive to be the carpenter's son, and they reject the Lord Jesus. And so he moves 25 miles away and he uh, proceeds with his ministry in Capernaum. So, uh, of course, we know Capernaum. Uh, Many of the disciples were from that town. In fact, this house uh, we see from other uh, accounts. This house was uh, probably Peter and and his his wife's house. It seems John and and James were connected there. Uh, We know Matthew, the publican, lived there. And so this is where the Lord Jesus continues his public ministry. Now, Luke tells us, that um, in the house on this occasion that we're thinking about, uh, the people came all the way from uh, Judea, from Galilee, and all the way from Jerusalem. And that's, of course, why the house was so full. Um, of course, we know why many of those came. They came to trap the Lord Jesus in his words. Right? We can see that there are uh, impure motives amongst these men as they sit and listen to the Lord Jesus. Now, um, what's very encouraging about that is that Luke tells us the power of the Lord was there to heal them. That's interesting. You can go to church for impure motives, and you can come home changed. Is that true? I hear stories, testimonies of young men who go to church to find the Lord. Uh, no, not actually. I don't know. If maybe, you, maybe you guys don't do that in the States. In Canada, I've heard stories, if you can believe this, of young men going to a church to find a Christian girl. Can you believe that? Yeah. They want a Christian girl. They want to marry a Christian girl. They've been out in the world, and and, um, and and what they want when they want to get married is a Christian girl. So you hear these testimonies. They come to uh, to trap a Christian girl, and uh, the Lord ends up saving them and um, and working their family. Now we know that's not always how it happens, but they come for impure motives, and um, the the power of the Lord is there to heal them as the word of God is spoken. And that's exactly what happens in this story. It says the Lord Jesus spoke the word to them. That's the great need of the human heart. It's the word of God preached or spoken. I like this word. It, it has this idea. Um, I don't know what you picture when you think of the Lord Jesus speaking. Now we, spoke, we know he spoke to masses of humanity. But as he spoke, what kind of a preacher was he do you think? Was he a Was he a hellfire brimstone preacher? I don't think so. In fact, this word would lend to this idea that he spoke. You know, it wasn't the idea that he was yelling. Uh, Everybody was quiet in the house, they wanted to hear what he said. Uh, An old hymn used to put it this way. He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. And so there's this mass of people. The house is right full and they're hanging on every word that the Lord Jesus says. Why? Well, His words had power. They were life-changing. His words had authority. His enemies acknowledged that. Uh, The temple guard came to arrest Him uh, in John's Gospel. They came back and they said, nobody ever spoke like Him. And so uh, to come and, and sit under the sound of the word of God. And so that's what we have. We have this group of people um, sitting, seeking to trap him in his words. The Lord Jesus uh, speaks the word to them. then in verse 3, uh, we have these four friends who bring their friend to the Lord Jesus. It's wonderful to uh, bring your, your friends who need the Lord Jesus into the presence of the Lord Jesus. And that's what they're doing. Uh, the story has it they carry uh, their paralyzed friend uh, to the house. They come to the house. It's right full. They can't get in. Uh, of course, they're men of faith. That's what the Lord Jesus acknowledges in their life, that they have faith. And, of course, we know faith is an action word, isn't it? It's not a leap in the dark. Uh, there's an action connected with faith. And so uh, they come to the house. They see that it's full. And the Bible says they go around and they, enter, they climb up the stairs and they get on the roof of this house. So this meeting is going on. We uh, we we picture that it's quiet. Uh, people are listening to what the Lord Jesus is saying, and then the Bible says, our our Mark tells us that these men get up on the roof and uh, they they literally tear the roof off this house. That's what happens, right? Uh, they tear the roof off this house and it'd be a big uh, uh, history or you know. Uh, People tell us that it would be a mat, it would be a foot thick, it would be mixed with uh, wood and and logs and clay, and it would be uh, many layers deep. And so they pull the roof off this house, and and, uh, and so they lower this mat down through the roof. And so, of course, the meeting stops. Um, We know the enemies of the Lord Jesus. We know where they're sitting, right? Where are they sitting? They're sitting right up front. This is a new tradition, what we have here. Um, We have a church in Hunter Mall that has been on the sign ever since we've been there for 10 years. We don't live there now, but for 10 years the the sign says, come early for a back seat. If you want to sit in the back, you've got to get there early. And so uh, that's exactly the opposite of how it was in the days of the Lord Jesus. His enemies were sitting in the front seat. In fact, you remember he said this to them. He said, you know, you guys never start in the back. You never do. You never start in the back and wait for the host to invite you to the front, to the best seat. You guys always come in and grab the best seats for yourself. And so they'd be sitting in the front. Uh, they're listening to what he says, hoping to uh, catch him in his words, something that he might say that they could use against him. Uh, the roof comes off this house. Uh, down in front gets lowered this man who's paralyzed. What's his, what's his impression of the whole thing, you think? think he's kind of a front-center guy? He's not, is he? That's not the kind of person he is. We don't have to speculate on that. We know that. And so we, we imagine that the, the meeting stops. The Lord Jesus uh, quits speaking as this, this pallet gets lowered down. And um, First impressions. This is this man's first impression of the Lord Jesus. And we know he's scared. Do you know why we know he's scared? Because the Lord Jesus says, Son, don't be afraid. That's what he says to him. That's what Matthew's gospel tells us. Not, not Mark here. Matthew tells us, the Lord Jesus says, Son, don't be afraid. And then he takes care of the greatest need in the human heart. What is the greatest need? I like to preach this to kids in the summer. And, and I say, what do you think his greatest need was? You know what kids almost always say? To walk. Right? And he's Paralyzed. I say, that's what I used to think. But I know that's not the case. His greatest need wasn't to be able to walk. His greatest need, and the greatest need of the human heart, is for sins to be forgiven. And that's what the Lord Jesus does. Son, don't be afraid. Your sins be forgiven you. And and so what miraculously happens in this story is that all of the accounts switch to the inside. Nobody's speaking. Do you notice that? Everybody's reasoning in their hearts. They're thinking. Uh, uh, the paralyzed man, he's not saying anything. And so it's all transpiring in the, in the thoughts of these people. Uh, my friend Jabe says that the Lord Jesus maybe said something like this. Uh, gentlemen, I couldn't help but overhear what you were thinking. And I say, well, really that is in essence what's going on. The Lord Jesus is reading their minds. And you know what's remarkable? The Bible says he began to reason with them. That's the grace of God manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. This is, this is the great challenge in the world today. The Lord says, uh, says uh, God says, you, you bring your, your hardest questions, bring them. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Being a Christian is reasonable. In fact, it's the most sane thing you ever did, or I ever did, when I received the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the Lord Jesus begins to reason with these men, and so he asks them a question. Uh, you know, they're right, uh, they make this statement, um, "Who, uh, this man speaks blasphemies, uh, who can forgive sins but God alone, and so they're right about that, aren't they? That's true. They're really, they're half Right? And when a person is half right, uh, they can be all wrong. It's true. And that's what happens here. They're right about the fact that only God can forgive sin. Where they're wrong is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we can't overemphasize that as we preach today. The deity of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation of the Christian faith. This is what the Lord Jesus asked his disciples. He said, "Who, who do men say that I am? More importantly, who do you say that I am? And we, we don't, we don't, we have no, there's no, there's no give in this idea. You know, we're, we're firm believers that the Lord Jesus Christ was who he said he was. God incarnate. God manifest in the flesh. We don't try to, try to explain it. You know, I hear a brother say that, um, you know, it's the idea that uh, he was uh, uh, God and man. That answers all the tough questions. I said, oh, so what uh, scholars call the hypostatic union. Yes, that answers all the dilemmas of Scripture. We, say, we don't understand these things, but the Bible clearly points out the Lord Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And, and Paul calls, in fact, one of the only two great mysteries in the New Testament, that God was manifest in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so um, they're wrong about that. And so the Lord Jesus presents to them two questions. He says... Uh, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise take up your bed and walk it's a fair question which was easier well let me say this which would be easier for you which would be easier for a man well you know this day and age many people profess to have the power to forgive men of their sins right it's happening all the time people forgiving other people for their sins and so they do that. Why? Because they can't. They can't heal. You know, um, there's a book written by Sir Robert Anderson called The Silence of God. And he, he, he challenges this concept you know, amongst Christians of this idea of miracles. He makes a strong point. Uh, he says, you know, that if, uh, you know, as the unbeliever, the unbeliever points out that um, if a person has the power to heal, right? The, the power to heal people of diseases and all of those things and all those ailments of the body, they, the unbeliever asks, well, why doesn't that person, rather than do it from TV for money, why don't they go down to the hospital? Why don't they start working down there? Why don't they, why don't they go down to the inner city? And so rather than, than it exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it brings shame upon His name. And so, uh, Sir Robert Anderson makes the point that um, that um, you know, we, we have this concept that you know, he says, don't you believe as a Christian, This the unbeliever asks, as a Christian, don't you believe that, that your God is all-powerful? We believe that, right? Do we believe that he's all-powerful? For sure. Um, he then asks the question, the unbeliever would say to us, well, if you had, it was in, within your power to help somebody, ask this to you. If it was in your power, within your power to help somebody, would you? You saw somebody suffering on the side of the street uh, and it was within your power to help them. Would you help them? Would you? So he says this. The unbeliever says, well, you're more benevolent than your God then. Aren't you? Because you're saying your God could and he doesn't. If you could, you would. So he said, you know, this concept has to be... Uh, work through and, and, and thought about logically. And, and so what Sir Robert Anderson goes on in the book to prove is that at the cross, the death, the Lord Jesus Christ, his burial, his resurrection was God's final answer for the need, the human heart. And, and that's what the Hebrew writer says, right? God, who spoke in times past right, by the prophets, has in these days, these days in which we live, Spoken by, actually, not his son. His is not there. It's the word son. It's God's final answer. Right? What the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross of Calvary. And so again, that's emphasized here. The great need for uh, sins to be forgiven. So we ask the question, If it was me, uh, a paralyzed man came in, was laid before me. And um, I would have to say, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Because I would be proved a sham if I said, rise, take up your bed and walk, because it wouldn't happen. But so now the question has to be asked, which was easier for the Lord Jesus? Well, um, it's interesting. Uh, All of this is going on in the minds of people, right? You know, they're thinking, the paralyzed man is thinking, the Lord Jesus is reading their minds. But we can now read the mind of the Lord Jesus we know what he was thinking about. As he looked into this man's eyes, we know what he was thinking. You know what he was thinking? As he forgave that man of his sin, he was thinking about Calvary. Wasn't he? So if we ask the question, which was easier for the Lord Jesus to heal or forgive, we say it was easier for him to heal. didn't cost him anything. The world was spoken into existence by His Word. He spoke the world into existence. It happened at His command. But now as He looked into the eyes of this man and forgave him of his sin, we know exactly what He was thinking about. He was thinking about dying on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Um, And so then He goes on to say, He says to these men, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. This is a great word of the Gospel that you might know. I meet people, I'm sure you do too, and and, um, are you going to heaven? You know what they say? I hope so. You wouldn't want to go to heaven, right? I mean, I hope I am. Well, that's a great word if they mean hope and the idea of the blessed hope. I say, yeah, I could amen that. But often they say, I'm not sure. That's not the message of the Bible. These things are written that you might know. And so the Lord Jesus says, listen, I want you you men to know something. That the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive. sins." so He says to the man, He says, take up your bed and walk. It says, immediately he arose, took up his bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed, he glorified God saying, we've never saw anything like this before. We all want to be... Um, more skilled in Christian apologetics. Certainly they have their place. But we want to make sure as we, we look at this passage that the greatest Christian apologetic, you know what the greatest Christian apologetic is? The changed life. You can't argue with the changed life. I mean, these men were, were great arguers, great debaters. When they saw this man get up and walk out they said, we've never seen anything like this before. And so, as Christians, although we, we want to uh, emphasize as we preach the gospel that justification is simply by faith, right? It's this, this act, this one-time act where when a person calls upon the name of the Lord in Romans 10, or confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says they're saved, that person is justified Right? Declared righteous by God. That's the Gospel. It's a free gift. But it goes on from there. And much of the book of Romans is linked with our sanctification, our changed life, our holy walk. And so that's what this picture is. This is the story of these men watching and and this man getting up. Now, he couldn't get in, remember? The house was full. He couldn't get in the door. But after the Lord Jesus heals him, it seems that he was able to get up on his uh, off his bed and roll it up and put it on his shoulder and walk out the back door, the front door of the house. And uh, they say, quite frankly, we've never seen anything like this before. So I don't know what happens after that. I mean, imagine there's rejoicing amongst the friends. I mean, this is the best case scenario. I mean, they're, uh, when they got up that morning, they say, we need to get our friend of the Lord Jesus. Hopefully he can help him. Somehow How he must be able to help. Well, it was all of that and more something that I've often wondered about uh, in this story is uh, maybe you have too and I don't know uh, is uh, who fixed the roof? <laughs> have you ever thought about who fixed the roof? Um, you know I have a friend who says the four friends who pulled the roof off fixed the roof so maybe that's possible. Um, I know who was the most skilled at fixing roofs amongst the group. Do you know who that was? That was the Lord Jesus, right? And I'm not saying in a miraculous way. I'm saying, in fact, that's what he spent most of his earthly life doing. You know, uh, G. Campbell Morgan in his Hidden Years of Nazareth, in his book, The Hidden Years of Nazareth, speaking about those those years in the life of the Lord Jesus that we know nothing about. Well, we know one thing from Luke chapter 2. We know that the Lord Jesus, when he was 12, went up with his parents. And they didn't understand his ministry, what he was doing. But Luke tells us he went back to Nazareth and he was subject to his parents. That's all we know. But we know this, after those years that he was hidden away, before his public ministry started, after those private years, it was then that heaven was opened and his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not after his public ministry, after his private ministry. And so we know that, um, as G. Campbell points out, that that, um, every door, window, every piece of wood that had to be worked on in Nazareth was done by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He repaired every door, window, all the carpentry work, every table that had to be built. He did that. He was plenty qualified to fix the roof on this house. Uh, Some people say that, um, well, he never tore the roof off the place. We say that's fair. It's not a strong argument, because you know what the greatest problem in the world was? Sin. How many sins did the Lord Jesus commit? None. The Bible's very clear. He knew no sin, he did no sin. In him was no sin. In fact, Psalms tells us he restored that which he took not away. And so it's possible. I said I don't know what your your speculation is or what you believe happened there. Um I do say this, the Lord Jesus still fixes homes. Um, our story, i just share for a couple of minutes, are how we got to here. I wasn't born in a Christian home. Uh, my parents met in 1965. Uh, they met the day that my dad got out of the uh, B.C. Penitentiary, just served two years for stealing and all sorts of stuff. And... and um, And so he just, from the years of 18 to 20, spent two years doing federal time, which is serious time, you know that. And and so he got out of jail. His parents moved from a big city to a small town. They hoped that when uh, their son got out and they were living in a small town, their son wouldn't get into the trouble that he got into when he was living in a city. And, of course... Uh, The sad part about that is that's not the case. He was just in as much trouble in a small town as he was in the city. Uh, The day he got out of jail, uh, he met my mom. They fell in love, love at first sight. And um, uh, eight months later or so, got married, and uh, my mom was here. Uh, She would say right from the beginning, their marriage was a disaster. There was nothing nothing good about those years. Uh, They had four children, of whom I'm the oldest, Uh, moved along my dad uh, got his own business Uh, was up to all sorts of bad stuff and um, and their life was their marriage was on the rocks their life was falling apart Uh, my mom had tried many times to divorce my dad to leave him and uh, her dad was not a Christian was a very respectable farmer in the community of Salmon Arm British Columbia and and he would say to my mom you know you've made your bed you need to sleep in it so he'd send her back And she'd cry and they'd fight and he'd do drugs and she'd drink and um and one day a little card come in the mail and um it invited uh, people in the community to a little church it was meeting in a school and so uh my mom phoned the number it was just four miles down the road and and uh tried to feel the lady out about things and uh and so she invited mom to to bring the kids and so mom brought us kids to sunday school and um they were giving out little uh, gospel coins if you brought a friend. And so uh, the four of us went the, uh, the one Sunday. And then the next Sunday, my dad was home. And, uh, and they had a big fight. My mom and dad had a big fight that morning. And so he took a couple of us and went and worked on his truck. And uh, my mom uh, went to the, to the Sunday school. And my brother, in uh, hopes of winning a gospel coin, uh, invited my mom to come to church. And so she sat in the back and heard a message on baptism and would say she understood nothing what was said. And um, after the meeting was over, she uh, knew one of the mums sitting in the back and so she said to my mom, Dixie, how's, how's things going? And so she says what uh, many people say, fine. Or do you say that? Or is fine good down here? I, don't, I sometimes don't understand. Uh, down here, I, everywhere I go, people say all right. Like all right, what's that mean? Like where does that fit into this spectrum? I'm so say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, okay, like we got fine. Fine's not that good, really. I said, no, I mean it's like fine, and then you got good, you got great. Where where is it for you? She said, well, it's all right. Then it's good. Then it's great. Then it's fantastic. I said, okay. So it seems universally fantastic's a good word. Is that right? South Florida's fantastic. Well, fine is like, hey, it's just like all right. Uh, And so the lady says, well, what's wrong? And so my mom says, you know, my life's coming apart. I don't know what's happening. So she starts to cry. And so the lady says, well, you should talk to the preacher. You know, he's been a great help in our marriage, and maybe he can help you. And so my mom goes and uh, talks to him for, for, she would say, two hours, and and poured out her heart, you know, Uh, mostly how bad a person my dad was. And so... Uh, the brother, Harold, there listened to that for a couple of hours. And so then he says to my mom, Dixie, where's it at with you and the Lord? And so my mom says, well, you know, I believe the Lord helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's great. You know, the only problem with it is it's not true. And so uh, Harold says, Dixie, that's not the story of the Bible. And so. Uh, He explains to my mom for the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin. And so she says, I need to get out of here. She needs to get out of there because she wants to get saved. So she went out to her car, and um, in June of 1974 in the parking lot of the Carlin Elementary School, she received Jesus Christ as her Savior in the parking lot. She went home that day, and and my dad thought she was um, stoned. I mean, he couldn't think of happiness apart from some substance. And uh, and so that wasn't the story. She'd found Christ. And uh, six months later, he uh, tried to rob a bank in uh, Turner Valley, Alberta. And in Canada, that's illegal. Uh, I think it's illegal down here too, is it? You're allowed to try, I think, but if you get caught. But anyways, uh, so that is illegal. And so um, he was sentenced to six years in jail. And while he was waiting sentencing, he phoned my mom and said, Listen, I'm going to jail I'm guilty. Uh, They're going to put me away for a long time. I don't want the responsibility of a wife and four children. I want you to divorce me. And so my mom said, no, Bob, I love you. We love you. We're going to wait for you. And um, so she sent him a Bible, a bunch of tracts, into the Calgary Remand Center. Uh, And in December of that year, he got his Bible. He was in his room, laying on his bed, reading his Bible. And uh, he got down off his bed and got on his knees, and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He served... uh, uh, 27 months of his uh, six-year sentence. When he was uh, released for uh, early parole, he, um, of course, you have to have a uh, psychiatrist, uh, uh, you know, analyze you and, and diagnose and, and, and talk to you. And so the psychiatrist said to, to my dad, Bob, what you've got, we couldn't give you. See, even the psychiatrist understood that that the system doesn't rehabilitate people. I'm so thankful to see that um, you pray for prison ministry because prisoners' only hope is Jesus Christ. And the reason he's uh, their only hope is because he doesn't fix up the old life. The old life's been ruined. Uh, he doesn't even, as Joe Reese says, give you a clean slate. He gives you a new slate. And that's what they need. And so... Uh, that's what he experienced. He uh, got out of prison and uh, moved back to, to Salmon Arm with my mom, and uh, was uh, in the little assembly, which was where my mom was saved, and, and so that started kind of a you know a little uh, revival or a little awakening in our family. You know, my grandmother was saved at uh, 61. She just went home to heaven a couple of years ago at Christmas. Uh, um, she <laughs> wasn't saved till she was 61. My uncle, uh, my cousins. I, at one point, I remember. You know, counting in in my life of all the people who'd come to Christ from when my mom was saved in June uh, of '74, and it was over over 30 that the Lord touched through our lives, and so we're we're thankful for that. Uh, we know, though, uh, in our own experience, that that doesn't get us out of the woods. Now, I see up here in the corner, you pray for um, backsliders. Now, you know that not every Christian agrees with that term. In fact, they would argue that it's not in the new testament and we would agree with that but as many able bible scholars would teach us although the word's not there the doctrine and the idea is there and so it's not about you know it's not about semantics it's not about the fact of the word it is possible for a christian to get away and so you know that's that's my story you know i in the assembly baptized with my grandmother when i was 12 uh brought in you know every sunday remember the lord we moved from salmon arm to uh abbotsford british columbia started going while we were already going to a gospel hall and and so you know i get in there and uh i remember buying a suit i remember getting a job at the coast and the first thing i bought was a, a wide margin bible that's helpful uh, when you're going to church, have a wide margin Bible, have a suit and a tie and uh, nobody ever really asks you how you're doing. Things look good. And that was my story, you know, and, and when I moved to this new town, I met a a young guy in, in grade 12, the end of grade 11, grade 12, who was a pretty cool guy and and. Uh, but he introduced me to another another life, a life i wasn 't familiar with, lots of things that, at the time seemed like fun but you know and pleasurable and so of course, the Bible is true. there is pleasure in sin it 's just the problem is it only lasts for a season in contrast, of course, at his right hand are pleasures that last forevermore and so uh, and so I got trapped up in that and and, as a young person in grade twelve, seventeen eighteen, started living this double life. Uh, going to the assembly, but actually up to no good most of the rest of the time. And of course, um, that can happen. I don't know where your situation is. I I know this, as Harry Moorehouse says, um, you know, when the prodigal son, when did he become a prodigal? When did he become a prodigal? When he was in the far off land? Harry Moorehouse says he became a prodigal when he was in his father's house because he knew what he was going to do with the money heart was already far off from God, so that was the whole idea. Uh, and so Harry Moorehouse goes and say, you know, that you could um, be a prodigal sitting right where you're sitting. He says you could be a prodigal standing where I'm standing. And so it's a, it's about the heart. And so that was my story, you know, this double life, and and I got away from the Lord, and eventually I ran away from home, and and uh, ended up moving in and living in sin with um, that guy i met with his sister i was living with her and it broke my parents heart you know i remember uh, my mom didn't even want to come and visit me and it was just a disaster she you know people were saying well he's not saved and and of course she thought i was saved and and the girl i'm living with isn't a christian so she doesn't know whether i should marry her or if she can come and visit me and so it was it was a it was it was heartbreaking for them um and so that went on for a while, and then eventually I, I married that girl, and we had a family. And, um, and our two oldest girls, uh, my mom started bringing them to Sunday school. They were like just young, five years old and younger. And, and so those Christians at the Gospel Hall uh, used to send Bibles home with those girls and tracts and all that stuff. And, you know, that does work because you know my wife was reading that stuff I mean she was she would never ask me a question I mean I remember you know I was a long ways away from the Lord and I would say to Cindy Cindy you know you need to get saved if if the Lord comes back you're going to be you know me and the girls are going you're going to be left behind she's like are you going to heaven I said yeah she said listen if you're going to be there I'll be there for sure and uh She was right. I mean, based on lifestyle, she was far. You know, she was responsible. Everything I wasn't, she was. And so um, the girls start going to Sunday school and and Cindy doesn't want to ask me any questions, but she starts to read all this stuff and and she wants to know more. So we started, the grace of God, going as a family to a little uh, Baptist church in Abbotsford, B.C. and and, um, went there for a year and a half or so. And I remember sitting on a Sunday morning and uh, Cindy was sitting beside me and, and, uh, and the preacher made a, a statement and I remember Cindy nodding like this. And I had never seen her do that before. And so uh, that Monday night, the next night I was going out with some friends and, and I was standing uh, saying goodbye to Cindy and uh, she was different. And I said to her, you're, you're different, aren't you? She said, yeah. I said, did you get saved? She said, yeah. I said, really, When? She said on Thursday, and I said, um, "Why don't you tell me?" She said, "No, I'm not telling anybody." I said, "Well, I don't think that's going to work for you." But, anyways, I, sadly, I still I went out and and uh, but you know, sometime in the next little while, I was restored to the Lord. Now, uh, I have to uh, share with you know that that I, I feel it was restoration. And I had to work through that in my life. You know, um, uh, very shortly after I got restored. Uh, I'm trying to work this out. Cindy wants to get baptized. I need to find out if if I was uh, saved when, at 32 or was I saved as a boy. And so I'm talking to my mom and my dad and, and trying to think back. And, and my mom was trying to help me. You know, she'd be calling me, Hey, I just found one of my old Bibles, and you were saved when you were 10. I'm like, Okay, good. When I was 10, that's when I was saved. And then she'd call me again. Yeah, I just got another, found another Bible. You were saved when you were 11. I'm like, Okay, good. I was saved when I was 11. And and then another one, oh, you were saved when you were 12. I'm like, man, I was getting saved a lot back then. And, and, um, and so I'm trying to figure this out. And, and then, um, and then Cindy, uh, Cindy was reading this book uh, by Harry Ironside titled Sailing with Paul. And um, Harry makes the statement, it's not the where and the when that's important. It's the who and the how. Who saves? How does he do it? Well, I could confess, I know who saves. Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. How does he do it? He did it by taking my sin upon him on the cross. And so at some point in my life in the early years, I, I, I mean, I remember being convicted about sin and asking the Lord to save me. And, and so uh, that was a relief uh, to me. And so... Um, Cindy got baptized. I got restored, and um, and as I say, I wrestled through this. Uh, we started going to a little uh, an assembly in in Mission, British Columbia. And about four years after that, the Saints uh, graciously uh, commended us to the work of the Lord, to gospel work, until uh, wherever the Lord would lead us. And and so the Lord allowed us to work uh, in Abbotsford uh, for a few years, and then to move to Hunter Mile House for about almost ten years. Uh, We're very encouraged with the work in Hunter Mall House. Uh, We got a a son-in-law out of the whole deal. And, um, I mean, that's been just a thrill to me to see a young man from the First Nations uh, of uh, our area come to faith in Jesus Christ. And not just come to faith, but actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember, um, you know, in reading, uh, I'm reading... um, you know, Jim Elliott's story and, and Pete Fleming, you know, their, their, their desire wasn't just to see people converted. Do you remember that, that they talked? It wasn't just to see people saved. Uh, Pete Fleming and Jim Elliott were in agreement on this, that their desire was to someday see a group of Aka Indians gathered around the Savior. That's what they wanted to see. Uh, they said standing up and, and worshiping the risen Christ, breaking bread, you know, uh, you know uh, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to see an assembly planted. You know, now they didn't get to see that, um, but you know, that is the fact. Right? That's what's happened down there. You know, uh, Ken Fleming went back for the 50 year reunion. He said there's more than 300 in the assembly down there. And so I I remember thinking in my life, it's not just seeing somebody saved. I like to see a a young man um, saved, gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ in assembly fellowship. And we've we've experienced that. So pray for our family. Appreciate that. Uh, And so the Lord brought us there. Uh, We labored for him to the best of our ability. I'm a firm believer uh, that the Lord has more to do in me than through me. I don't feel like I'm sufficient for that. Uh, not sufficient for this, but uh, that 's what the Lord had for us at this point in our life to come down here and and uh, visit you. I mean of course, I know Tim set it all up, but uh, we 're thankful for that and thankful for what the Lord is doing. We now live in Abbotsford have for about the past year and um, and there's a great work there. There's a, a work amongst our family. Uh, we don't feel like before we moved to Hunter Mall that we did a very good job of evangelizing, our, evangelizing or reaching out to our Jerusalem. Remember, that's where the apostles had to start, was in Jerusalem. That's the hardest part, and or that's the hardest for most of us, I think, and it was for us. And so we didn't do a very good job of that. Uh, and so the Lord seems to have brought us back to that. And, and so pray for us as we uh, work in Abbotsford. There's open doors for the gospel. Anywhere you go, it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, we uh, work in a little bit of um, preaching. Uh, and probably you're thinking, how does he get to preach? Well, we don't have very many preachers up in our area. So if you guys come up here, we could keep up to Canada. court, I mean, Tim Tim preaches up there too, so you can think. I mean, man. If you guys come up there, you'd be real busy. But anyways, um, thank you for having us and for the opportunity to share. Uh, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we're uh, thankful for the... Um, well, we're thankful, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for Him, um, you know, even as we think about these things of Him uh, giving His life on the cross. Father, we know that that was uh, Your plan uh, from a past eternity, that even before the foundation of the world, uh, before sin in the garden, the Lord Jesus had uh, determined that He would come to this earth and He would give His His very own life. Father, we're uh, I want to be reminded of the uh, tremendous cost of our salvation. We're thankful for a so great a salvation. We're, Father, we're, we're mindful of what it cost you or, or we try to understand what it must have cost you to give your only begotten Son, uh, as Brother David reminded us, for sinners, for what we were, uh, not just enemies, but, but sinners uh, far off uh, without hope, uh, sinning willfully, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, loved us and and gave himself for us we're thankful for that we're thankful for the fellowship of your people and just this time that we can uh, be together father pray that uh, the word spoken tonight would be a help uh, an encouragement to the hearts of your people we thank you for this testimony here and for each family uh, that's represented father again we would uh, think of those who aren't here who've been here in the past father we're grateful that that not only are you the God of, of salvation, but you're also the God of restoration, that none of these things are in half measure, that it's always full measures with you. And for that, we're grateful and thankful. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.